This morning's reading is from the book of Judges, chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, and then chapter 13, 24, until chapter 14, 20, on page 256 in the Pew Bibles. That's Judges 13, 1 to 5, and then 13, 24, until 14, 20. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah, named Manoah, from the clan of Danites, had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And now verse 24. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him, while he was in Manhana, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtal. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah, now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and his mother, and as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, so that he tore the lion apart, with his bare hands, as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. In it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the woman, and Samson made feasts there, as was customary for bridegrooms. When he appeared, he was given 30 companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. He replied, Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days they could not give the answer. On the fourth day they said to Samson's wife, Coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to rob us? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, You hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. 
I haven't even explained it to my mother or father, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her, because she continued to press him. She in turn explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, If you had not ploughed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down thirty of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he went up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to the, fr- fr- the friend who had attended him at his wedding. I know what you're thinking. Glad I'm not up here. <laughs> okay. Can, all right. I don't know if I should. I'm trying to find the perfect angle. There's always going to be a pillar in the way. Okay. Hi. You can uh, now. You can see. It's not such cheap seats now. Um, well, good morning. Good morning. Would you rather have, like a bit of a would you rather game, would you rather have incredible wisdom, wealth, and power, or be supernaturally strong, quick-witted, and have a good head of hair? Okay. I think a lot of the guys here would go for the, the, the second hair thing. Yeah, we, we like, even, I'm kind of glad I'm six foot three, and um, there, there is a little thing going on here, and, uh, but not many people can see that, so that's good, though I've confessed it. However, um, over the last two weeks, um, we have been looking at two characters. Last week, we looked at the character of Solomon, who had great wisdom, he had power, and he had wealth, and Samson, the strong quick-witted male version of Rapunzel. And um, both of these men were, were born into great privilege and received extraordinary anointing from the Lord. Uh, but both men make some spectacular, ridiculous decisions despite all their incredible privilege. So this morning, we're going to uh, look at a, a rather complicated character of Samson and if I'm honest I have been scratching my head this last week not knowing how to uh, to deal with him for he's he's a bit strange Uh, I haven't read it all because it's quite long but we will try and get through most of it I think most of us will be familiar with the story he's kind of a strange mix of success and failure he's both kind of strong as an ox but he's also kind of pretty like weak like a kitten he's the source of Israel's hope for deliverance at this particular time in their history, yet he's also the subject of shame and embarrassment for the entire nation. So what is he? Is he, is he a saint or is he just a sinner? He doesn't fit very neatly into our religious categories so we can class them as either good or bad. Samson somehow uh, defies being put into a box, but instead he challenges us about how God works. In some ways, he leaves us with a a lot more um, questions than answers. So this morning, we're going to look at some of those questions, and we're going to try and pry under the surface of uh, the story and try and understand some of the things that God, um, uh, about, about God and his dealings with us. So am I sounding a bit funny? 
other than my voice. It sounds a bit echo. I'm a bit funny. Okay. Do you want me to use another microphone over there? Or am I okay? We'll, we'll, we'll keep going. Or you should give me a thumbs up. We'll keep going. Okay. So the first thing, I had to have a PowerPoint. Oh, great. There you go. Um, the first point is the mystery of his calling. So the first thing is, why did God raise up uh, a deliverer for these people in the first place? What was the purpose of it? Well, surprise, surprise, as it's been going on in the last few weeks, we've been saying Israel has once again turned away from, from following God and fallen into sin. So if you have your Bibles open, verse 13, 1, it says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the result this time, what happened is they're living under the oppression of the Philistines. In 2 Chronicles 7, 15, it says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So that's the promise that God has given his people. If they cry out to heaven, then he will hear their voice. However, these people are doing none of this. In the story of Gideon, who I spoke on a couple weeks ago, um, people were crying out to God because of uh, their situation and the, their, their suffering. At the result, uh, and as a result, God um, took Gideon from nothing, a nobody, and raised him up to being a mighty warrior. But not so here. You know, this is the one place where we do not read about people crying out to God, uh, the Israelites crying out to God in their oppression. You see, the game plan for the Philistines was simple. They conquered their enemies by assimilating them through intermarriage and watched from a distance with glee as the people of God began to uh, disappear and blended into the culture around them. Yeah, maybe that sounds familiar to the church today in many ways. There was, for these people, no kind of prayer movement for revival, no putting on sackcloth. They were forgetting they were God's chosen people, what the Lord had done for them. Instead, they decided to be content to exist in their, their pathetic state. Yet God initiates this deliverance for his people all the same. You see, the story of Samson, it brings us face to face with the, with the sovereignty of God. Israel, they didn't deserve any help, yet God sent it all the same. And we discover that God sends a person that, whose life was was full of inconsistencies and contradictions. You know, a hero that doesn't quite hit the mark. Now, I, I personally don't like to think of, uh, of um, Samson as a hero. He, he's, he's not a very good role model. You know, his gifting and his anointing is undeniable. But why on earth would the Lord uh, call someone like Samson to do ministry? Yeah. Does God not foresee the weakness in his character? You know, when I spoke on Gideon, I can understand God using a man who's, who's, um, who's gone from nothing and raising him up to becoming this mighty warrior. I can get that. I can preach on that. That makes sense. But, and maybe even the Gideons, the, the Josephs, the, the Daniels of the world, these are people who don't disappoint us. 
They refuse to bow down to the temptation or to compromise their principles. You know, I would say, God, you made a good choice when you picked those people. That was good. You were, you know, well, well chosen. But what were you thinking when you chose Samson? The guy is a bit of an embarrassment. You know, none of us would want him to be our church leader, would we? You know, it, we, we, we wouldn't know what to do with him. He, he may be anointed, but his life is just a mess. Well, here is a, a lesson on sovereignty. The gifts and callings of God are according to his purposes and will seldom uh, fall in line with what we think God ought to be doing. Samson's calling was not based on his performance. We read that his call was there before he was even born, before he'd made even one good or one bad decision. Each of us has a call in our life. We, we know that. We have a call in our life. And, it's, and it's, we've been given gifts that are specific to uh, living out that call. Well, the purposes of God are not thrown into flux if we choose not to follow that call. For God ultimately is working all things, both good and even our bad decisions, together according to his purposes. Just to illustrate it, once upon a time there was a, a grand chess master who was without ego or pride. And he would play anyone he, who wished to test their skills. You know, from a, from a basic novice to an expert. And one day a particularly determined young man um, sat opposite the grand master and he was determined to defeat him. The grand master smiled when uh, this young man made his first move because obviously he'd been, he'd been reading up. He, he he'd he learned a few moves. But it was a well-known move and easily countered by this chess master. With each move uh, the young man made, the master responded with thoughtfulness and expertise. And soon, this young man, he, he was checkmate. They played again and again, and each time the young man deployed, uh, employed kind of different moves, different strategies, and on each occasion, the chess master responded generously and wisely. They played like 20 games that day, and on each occasion, the chess master won quite comfortably. So when imagining, how God, when, we, when imagining how God can be in control of this world, some people think of him as a, an author of a play, you know, writing the script of our lives. Others think of him as being part of the audience, watching us write our own script. Well, both options are, are quite difficult. The first appears to rob, God of, um, rob us of our freedom and the other of God's involvement. Or perhaps a better image is of a chess game between a chess master and a novice. The novice moves his uh, pieces around the board. He follows some strategic strategies that he's read about in some book. Some of his moves are foolish. The master responds with great wisdom and expertise. His moves are not pre-programmed, but a response to the moves of the opposing player. Without ever knowing it, the master weaves the, the, the novice's moves into his game plan. And of course, the outcome of the game is never in doubt. Or perhaps God is the master 
and we are the novices. And like Samson, we have all been invited to take part and we make our choices freely. Sometimes very foolish and harmful choices, but the master responds with great wisdom, reacting in such a way to ensure that our moves and his are coordinated into his kind of overall strategy. And of course, the outcome, a new world, a new creation, is never in doubt. And the character of Samson, yeah, it is a bit of a mystery, but throughout this story, we can see God's hand at play in patiently weaving Samson's decisions, good or bad, into God's overall strategy. And perhaps uh, this is maybe one of the greatest lessons that we can learn. God not only has the right to rule, but it is by far best if he does rule. The best thing I can do uh, now and throughout my life is to simply to cooperate with what he's doing, to try and walk in step where I see the Lord at work. And, you know, I pray every day there's what I try and do. Just say, where are God, where are you at work? And I want to be walking that way. However, in Isaiah 14, it describes how sin entered the heart of Lucifer, the devil, on this issue. And it says, um, he decided, I will ascend to the throne. I have a better idea. I'll run this right. But everything God does is teaching us not to follow this error. And that is a key part of the gospel. Will you follow God's plan for your life? His calling for your life? Or are you going to devise your own way? The choice is always ours. The Lord has a call for your life. And it may seem completely unrealistic. You may seem you think you are not the right person, but he has a call for your life. Will you follow it? So that's the mystery of Samson's calling. It is a mystery, but the Lord, he, he chooses us, and he chooses people who are not the most likely candidates to be doing his work. The second thing is, I want to say is the mystery of his sinning. Um, the reason I want to speak about this is because what, I'm kind of asking the question, why would a person with all this privilege like Samson have, you know, he was born basically up here. You know, other characters we read in the Bible are born down, you know, your Gideons, your Josephs, they're right down here. And, they, and the Lord restores them. But Samson, he has everything right from the beginning. Why would he throw it all away for a few parties? Well, we can be pretty certain that Samson's parents taught him the way of the Lord. You know, they were met by a, an angel, an angel of the Lord, and told that he needed to be a Nazarite. And he would have understood what that meant. And that's to basically to be set apart from God, to have a vow to say, this is what I want to do. And number six uh, describes the three commitments a Nazarite must keep during their period of their vow. These are them. Firstly, is to avoid any contact with grapes or the drinking of wine. The second thing is never touch a dead body or of any kind. And thirdly, let your hair grow and never cut it out. However, as soon as Samson reaches adulthood, he starts to compromise those things. It's not all at once, but it's a slow compromise. Maybe he just thinks he knows better. So verse, chapter 14, verse 1 he goes down to Timnah, a place that he, he should have stayed away from. It was on the border between uh, Judah and, uh, and the Philistines, and it was full of temptation. 
In verses 5, there is a, a reference to the vineyards of Timnah. And so should a man who who's a, is a Nazarite and has a Nazarite vow be hanging around vineyards? Now maybe at this point he hadn't kind of ended up drinking, but it was the first step towards breaking this vow. He was, being, he was in the wrong place. So Samson is in the wrong place, but he's also surrounded by the wrong things. Uh, notice the rest of verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned home, he told his parents. And in verse 2, it says, I have seen a Philistine woman. His parents tried to warn him. Remember the game plan of the Philistines? They're trying to eradicate God's people through intermarriage, you know, blending us into the, you know, into the, into, into the culture around them. You know, this, Samson, is a bad idea. But what does Samson say? Go get her for me. She is the right one for me. My, my mom is here right now, and if I said that to her when I was younger, you know, mom, go get me. She would probably give me a slap. But um, he, he said that to them. And um, that phrase, basically, she is the right one for me, uh, literally reads, she is right in my eyes. So the Bible is telling us something crucial about Samson. He is a man motivated purely by physical appearance. You know, he saw this young woman. She looked good. And now he wants her. Samson was looking in the wrong place and was surrounded by the wrong things and he was doing all this for the wrong reason. You see, the Israelites were supposed to to stay separate from these pagan nations and that separation was, was there to protect them, to protect their relationship with God that the Lord was uh, restoring. He was t- taking a people of God and, and he wanted them to, to, to be pure and to be holy and to live their lives fully out for him and not to fall into sin. And we see that time and time again throughout the Old Testament. That is what he's desiring for his people. And now if you are a follower of Jesus today, then you are also required, we are also required to live differently. It may, it may the rules may be slightly different, but we are still to be salt and light in the world, living lives that are set apart for God. And that involves not hanging out in certain places that will draw us away from God. And we all know what those places are for us. Maybe are you, are you seeking out godly relationships at the moment? Or are you seeking out ones that water down your faith? Are you putting yourselves in situations that end up leaving you down the wrong path. Well, Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That's what we need to do. We need to just run away from sin. Get it all off us. It entangles us. It holds us. It, it, it destroys us. But from this point on, Samson, you know, he's taken those few steps and he's starting to violate the conditions of his vow. He's taken his eyes off the Lord. He's not fixing his eyes on the Lord anymore. And we see he goes to a wedding party in Judges 14, which was basically like a pagan bachelor party. There would have been plenty of drinking. 
And not surprisingly, when you drink, it often ends with conflict and violence. And so when Samson ended up having to murder the 30 Philistines to pay his debt for that riddle, strange, uh, he had to touch those uh, dead bodies to get the clothes. And that was another violation of his vow, for he was not to touch another body. So he's already been drinking, and he's already been touching a dead body. He's only got one more to go. And after this, we get to chapter 15. Things starting to spiral out of control. We didn't read this part, but I'll try and uh, sum it up a bit. But however, before uh, I say that, however, in spite of Samson's compromises, his constant, you know, just pushing away, thinking he can do better, the Lord is still working out his purposes for the nation of Israel that they, to free them from the oppression of the Philistines. One way this happens is Samson catches 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. Interesting. Uh, this is probably harder than it looks. Um, I don't know. You probably shouldn't attempt this at home. I, um, I don't even know how that would have happened. But uh, uh, he, he, 300 foxes, just get that in your head, tying their tails together. Okay, got that. Then getting a club, putting it on fire, tying that to their tails, and then releasing them. Like, what? And that, what happens is they basically go uh, completely nuts. They go off into the fields and destroy all the corn in the fields and all the food for the Philistines. And this is basically on the level of like a college drinking society, isn't it? Just like a, that's a kind of a prank. But the foxes are scared and they just go ballistic. And you can imagine, you know, the Philistines kind of, not being too happy with what has just happened and maybe slightly, this is odd. Um, so they, you know, they pick a fight with him. How hard could it be? He's only one guy and what is he holding? Like a jawbone of a donkey? Like, what is pathetic? Well, it was a bit of a butt whooping and the result is a thousand fighting men dead. Understandably, you know, the Philistines are like, whoa, he's, he's okay, he's got something. Uh, so they left him alone for a very long time. And at the end of chapter 15, we see this comment. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now, just take a moment to uh, consider this because we often tend to run this story in with Delilah. And, uh, but for 20 years, that's a good amount of time, Samson seemed to keep his nose out of trouble. And he had some kind of pretty effective uh, in his leadership. So if the story ended there, you're like, well done, Samson, you're doing well, you're on the right path. But it doesn't end there, does it? We go into Judges 16, and it opens with these words. One day, Samson went to Gaza. You're like, oh, come on, mate. There you go again, back to the, to the wrong place. You know, after 20 years, he makes the same mistakes and puts himself back into a Philistine area. You know, two decades have gone past. What are you thinking? Had he forgotten the mess it caused him the first time? Every one of us has a, an area of weakness and vulnerability, don't we? And what my area of weakness and vulnerability uh, will be different to yours and, it, and vice versa. But we also have to be really aware of those so we don't end up finding ourselves in the same mistakes and falling in the same sin and mess each time, don't we? Well, Samson's area of weakness, it was women. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. 
Okay, <laughs> not the end of the world. You know, he's seen it, but surely, you know, after experience, he's not going to make the same mistake. Oh, my goodness. He went in to spend the night with her. Oh, again. He's messed up again. And what happens? This act of disobedience eventually led to his defeat. You know, he, it's all kind of spiraling out of control. He's been flirting with this, with this sin, and suddenly he's in chains. And sometime later, he's uh, in a relationship with Delilah. We fast forward. We see him with Delilah toying, uh, in, in chapter 16, toying with sin and foolishly feeling invincible. And maybe he thinks he can live a life for the Lord, but also live a life of, uh, of kind of worldly, worldly pleasure. And she asks him for the secret of his strength. And each answer moves him closer and closer to disaster, doesn't it? And you know the story. She discovers a secret and she ends up, you know, shaving his head. And the hair was the final symbol of his vow, of his kind of consecration to God. And what happens? In verse 19, says it plainly, his strength left him. The last phrase of, uh, verse, uh, of verse 20 is one of the saddest phrases in the entire Bible, entire Old Testament. It says this, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. He didn't know, but it had. And he was arrested. When we think of Samson, maybe you think of him as some kind of macho bodybuilder. You think of him, you know, just massive muscles. Um, but the muscles were not the secret of his strength. If it were, Delilah would be asking him, you wouldn't be asking him for a secret, it's obvious, you know, Samson, you're just well buff, you're just huge. Obviously, you are extremely strong. But she didn't know, she didn't know what it was. It was his anointing that gave him strength. Now that anointing was tied to his consecration to God, his, his vow to the Lord. And now why would he be so foolish to trade in such incredible anointing for uh, such bondage. Why would he do it? He must have known this might happen. Well, it is the deceitfulness of sin. His purpose is to destroy, is to destroy every good thing in a person. It didn't happen in one night, but gradual compromises of Samson eventually led to his defeat. There was a, um, an old man walking with his grandson. And his grandson looked up and said, Granddad, why are you being so silent? And the granddad says, well, I have, I have two wolves fighting in my mind. And the boy's like, whoa, wow, tell me about them. And the granddad says, well, one is characterized by fear, viciousness, unkindness, envy, and lust. And the other by gentleness, kindness, mercy, happiness, forgiveness, and joy. And the little boy's like, whoa, which, which one of these wolves is winning, granddad? And the grandfather said, well, it depends on which one I'm feeding. And I think with sin, it's often a little like that, isn't it? Which wolf are you feeding? Don't be fooled to flirt with sin, however small it might seem. Because the root of sin, however, uh, you know, whenever, even how harmless it might be, is to lead 
to our defeat, our destruction, ultimately to death. And we need to learn the lessons of Samson and not compromise our calling from God. That we are children of God. That we are chosen, all of us, to do good works for him. Don't compromise that for the the allure of, of sin. So that was the mystery of sin, of his sinning. And thirdly is the mystery of his restoration. Thirdly and finally. So Samson, he was um, subjected to four things once he got arrested. They firstly, it's pretty gross, they gouged out his eyes. Uh, maybe there's a symbolic thing, you know, his wandering eyes that had caused his, his heart to wander has now, uh, he found himself blind. Next, there is a deportation. They took him down to Gaza. Now that has got to hurt because that was the same place where he'd slept with this prostitute. And then, you know, he's now having to be in the place where it all went wrong. And then there's his incarceration. He was bound with bronze shackles. And then finally, there's his humiliation. They set him to grinding in the prisons, which was a work of a slaves and animals to grind the grain. Now, things couldn't get any worse or any lower for Samson. But then there's a ray of hope that breaks in. Judges 16, 23. But the hair on his head began to grow again. Now this has greater significance than maybe some men in their 40s if that suddenly happened. This has a greater significance for Samson. His hair was a, a symbol of his repentance. Samson is crying out for the Lord and the Lord hears him. What amazing grace this man Samson discovered in that prison when he's at the lowest point. Despite all his sin, all his failure, all his mistakes, God was still in it, still next to him, with him in his mess. Psalm 34, 17 says this, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. So when we cry out to God, we really mean it, the Lord will be there. I mentioned about Corrie Ten Boon a couple weeks ago and after surviving her uh, Nazi prison camp, she was asked how she kept going when things got tough. And I love her answer. She says this, there is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. So no matter how far you run away from God, you can never go so far that God can't find you. That is incredibly reassuring. So as the Philistines, they lead Samson into their pagan temple to mock him. They do not realize that God is working in Samson's life. They've never known of God of such mercy and grace and goodness. There with a broken broken and humble spirit, Samson calls out to the Lord for, for one more burst of strength before he dies. And empowered by the spirit, he brings down the temple walls and incredibly, he he goes towards fulfilling his mission. In Hebrews 11.32, Samson is listed as a a hero of faith. Was he a saint or was he a sinner? He was both. But by the grace of God, he finished his course. I have no doubt that he could have avoided a lot of the pain and the humiliation if he hadn't flirted with sin. 
if he hadn't started feeding that wrong wolf in his mind. But the riches of God's grace, even in the darkest prison of Gaza, God didn't abandon him, but continued to work in his heart and fulfilled his purpose for his life. Now, I'm, I'm very aware when uh, doing a passage like this, um, very aware how such a passage like this can jar with us, especially in the context of what's been going on in this week- weekend with kind of mass killings in, in Nice. And um, how do we view a God of, uh, of love and mercy and justice in, in, in this kind of context? How do we view the God of the Old Testament in this context? Well, I, 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 can't, I can't go into that right now. And um, maybe some of you are thinking that this just seems crazy. But I do believe that Jesus uh, is a restorer. And he is the one that we can come to. And he is the one that takes the penalty and debt for all of us. And he is a God of peace and love. And the point of what I've been wanting to get across today, this morning, is the story of Samson is a story that God is for us. He is for his people, which we are included into now. He is in charge He's in charge of our lives, and we can trust him with our lives. And no matter how far you've fallen, he'll be there. He's there in the mess. So what about God's call on your life right now? Is it, is it being fulfilled? Have you ignored it? Have you forgotten it, maybe? But the Lord has a call. If you don't know it, ask him. Ask him what he's made you to do. Maybe it's sidetracked by some sin or distraction that you, uh, you're dealing with at the moment. Well, regardless of what your circumstances, regardless how, uh, if you're right, you know, just flirting with a little bit of sin at the beginning, or you're right in the, the dungeon, know that the Lord is with you. And he wants to restore you. And so will you right now give him an opportunity to do that? I'm just going to pray for us. And we're in. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the story of Samson. And though it is a mystery, we pray that you um, help us to understand and to apply the, this message today. We pray that you help us understand your calling of each of us and what that is and what you've made us to do. Lord, we pray that you help us to flee from the temptations of sin that are there to draw our gaze from you and to defeat us and destroy us and to lead us to death. But Lord, we are so grateful that no matter where we are, what our situation is right now, there is no dungeon too deep that you wouldn't and you are not sitting alongside with us. So I pray, Lord, that we would go out today reassured of your incredible love for us, your people, that we know that we are children of God who are heirs of your throne, and Lord, that we have uh, the ability to have extraordinary power through uh, what you did on the cross. 
through your Holy Spirit, we can have extraordinary power to do incredible things. So Lord, in your mercy, use us. Amen.